You're listening to the GDA Podcast, the brainchild of Gail and Kyle Davis. This mother and son duo bring their different perspectives, interests, and experience to their conversations with the best thought leaders, educators, policy experts, motivators, and keynote speakers on the speaking circuit today. Gail Davis is the founder and president of the premier keynote speakers bureau, GDA Speakers. Beginning in 1999, GDA Speakers is a full-service, client-centric keynote speakers bureau known for working with clients to create memorable experiences. Kyle Davis grew up in the family business. He's a graduate of Columbia University, has owned his own business, lived in several cities across the U.S., worked in media, and spent the last three years working at tech startups in San Francisco and New York. To stay up to date, visit gdapodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter to receive updates on new episodes, blog posts, and much more. Be sure to follow GDA Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GDA Podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash GDA Podcast. For booking information, visit GDA Speakers at gdaspeakers.com or call 214-420-1999. And now, here's this episode of GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers. Enjoy. Jim Carroll is one of the world's leading international futurist, trends, and innovation experts with a client list that ranges from DuPont to Johnson & Johnson, the Swiss Innovation Forum to the National Australia Bank, the Walt Disney Organization to NASA. His focus is on helping to transform growth-oriented organizations into high-velocity innovation heroes. Jim will discuss his recent articles with us, 17 Trends in 2017, which details the 17 trends that he is following in the new year. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. How are you doing today? Uh, doing very well. Glad to uh, join you here to awesome. talk about the future. Well, the future is now. The future is now. That's right. So, Jim, I think you had told me in a previous conversation that you've been doing this about 25 years. I'm just curious how you got into this, how did you become one of the world's leading futurists? What's your background? Uh, the background is pretty bizarre, and I, I don't play this up to a lot of clients because they kind of freak out when they first hear about it, but then they realize it really kind of makes sense. I'm actually a uh, CPA, uh, uh, an accountant by background. I was with predecessor firms of KPMG and Ernst & Young way, way, way back. Mm -hmm. um, but I got on the internet, or, or you know, what was pre-internet, way back in 1982. Uh, you know, I figure I was probably one of the first thousand people online, and very involved with technology in the 80s. I wrote a ton of books about um, the internet and e-commerce in the 90s, and that got me onto the speaker circuit. And you know, I realized quite quickly I was I was speaking about more than just technology and the internet, but it was really you know speaking to a wide range of you know social and demographic and other economic trends and. You know, somebody said to me one day, you know, you're really focusing on the future, you know, not just technology. So, you know, what you've become is to a degree a futurist. So, boom, that's where <laughs> it came from, an, an accountant who's a futurist. But, you know, I think where it's relevant is, is, you know, when I'm with a CEO of a Fortune 500, you know, talking to his or her team, I've got that business expertise combined, you know, combined with this ability to see, you know, future trends that, you know, I think really brings me something special. That's awesome. So you became a futurist and an author. At what point did you get into actually speaking? Uh, it was about 1993. You know, people were clamoring to understand what's happening with this, you know, connected world. What does it mean? What's the impact on my business? Um, and, you know, people started calling and, you know, can you come and speak to us? And, and then, you know, there were a couple of uh, bureaus in the early days who uh, approached me and said, you know, look, we got a tremendous number of requests for this. 
you know, we've got some clients. Could you come in and speak to them? And it just sort of launched off from there. And, you know, from, look, 1993, 94, 95, it was an absolute rocket ride. I mean, I was doing, uh, you know, 80, 100 events a year, uh, just tremendous range of different industries. And, you know, it's it, it, to a degree, it's like playing the clubs. You know, you play the small clubs, you... Uh, uh, you know, you're working in the small venues and then all of a sudden, boom, before you know it, you're in front of, you know, 7,000 people in Las Vegas and kind of going, wow, you know, how did I get <laughs> Great stand-up reference. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious because I talked to a, another futurist not too long ago and he was mentioning, uh, you know, to me, he's like, hey, I've predicted, you know, people jumping on Twitter to a room full of people that should know about it. And then two years later, the conversation was all about Twitter. And so since you've had this career now that's spanned, you know, 25 years, you know, what are some of those milestone things that uh, you've encouraged people, you know, and they begrudgingly uh, listened and they weren't, you know, so receptive to it to, you know, fast forward a few years later and they're all about it? Oh, man, there's a, there's a ton of them. Uh, you know, this whole big buzz out there today about the Internet of Things. Oh, IoT. Uh, you know, which is, which, is, which is huge. I mean, I've been talking about in the context of what I call hyper-connectivity uh, mm-hmm. since about 1995, uh, you know, going back 21 years, predicting what would emerge, uh, you know, connected appliances in our kitchen. And that's actually come, you know, come home to, to roost. I'm actually going to be, uh, as soon as I'm back to work, I'm with one of the world's largest uh, manufacturers of appliances mm-hmm. uh, in the in the uh, home appliance industry with the CEO and his senior leadership team, 50 executives, uh, talking about that as a very significant transformative trend, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that this organization is latched onto in a, in a very, very big way. You know, I mean, it took 21 years, but people are finally listening. Right. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of LinkedIn, um, you know, I like to think I sort of predicted that internally what I was doing within this global accounting firm way back in 1986, you know, talking about the fact that we'd have this sort of online collaborative knowledge sharing tool, this tool that could be used to discover and access very, very unique skills. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I developed an internal network. We actually called it Linkage, not yeah. LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I, I can go back and look at a whole bunch of things where, you know, I'm pretty mm-hmm. proud of what I what I predicted. Um, I will say I was extremely embarrassed by the fact that I wrote a book around Y2K mm-hmm. uh, and certainly didn't get that one right, so I don't like to talk about that one too much. Well, it happens. I swear that uh, I had the idea for Uber before there was an Uber and uh, the idea for a... What a, a spaghetti pan that had holes in it, so I could drain it out later. But you know, that's neither here nor there. But that does make a good segue into you know one of the things that you're predicting for 2017 when you're talking about uh, no longer just the uh, the Internet of Things or IoT, uh, but I believe it's the integrated Internet of Things. So having or the intelligent, my apologies, uh, the intelligent Internet of Things that is going to allow. <clears throat> You know, more connectivity and more communication through, you know, several devices. Maybe you have, um, what is it, the Google Home or, or what it is, and it's connected to your Nest or your Amazon Echo, and they're all talking to each other, and then you're driving off in your Tesla, and your Tesla is, you know, sending out signals to, uh, you know, Elon Musk saying, hey, it's time for, you know, diagnostics update. Uh, could you, you know, shed a little light on that? Well, I mean, you know, the easiest example is probably, you know, what could potentially and what is already happening with energy. I mean, the idea is that uh, you've got some backyard energy, you're generating solar, wind, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever type of energy. I've got my energy, solar, wind. 
Um, and just as we shared music in the early days of Napster, we're going to share energy. We'll create our own little, we'll call it a microgrid, little um, community um, uh, energy grid in which we're sharing the energy we generate. Well, we tap into that and we link into that, you know, backyard weather sensors, uh, you know, local weather sensors, mm -hmm. and we're feeding in weather information from other sources, uh, which helps us to understand when we can best generate solar or wind or other energy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, not only do we have these individual intelligent devices um, in our homes, but they're starting to network to each other, they're starting to talk to each other, so they become their own little intelligent system that can better predict, you know, when should we be generating energy and take ourselves off the main grid uh, so that we're becoming, you know, most efficient in terms of what we do. The, you know, the second example, vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communications. Uh, everybody's talking about self-driving cars. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's a lot happening there, but there's a lot of other stuff that is underway as well. And so the concept is my car is going down the highway, um, and it's not only self-driving, but it's got the capability to talk to intelligence sensors that are embedded in the roadways, so the mm -hmm. intelligent highway infrastructure begins to emerge. Not only that, my car can talk to your car, can talk to other cars mm -hmm. uh, with, with telemetry, radar, and other technologies, um, so that we're all acting, you know, sort of together as one. We're not just becoming single vehicles going down the highway, but we're vehicles that are traveling together. We're aware of where every other vehicle is. We're aware of conditions on the road, not only within, you know, the next 100 feet, but within the next two miles. Mm -hmm. That's a very good example of an intelligent connected system. And that's the obvious next step of what is mm -hmm. going to happen with the Internet of Things. I mean, there's just tremendous technological advances like this that yeah. are underway. I can just imagine from a... Uh, yeah, I just recently moved back to Dallas from from New York City, so I, I was a, uh, a walker for many years. But now, now that I'm driving, I'm having the great privilege, I guess you could say, of using the Waze app. And I'm just imagining something like that, you know, where vehicles are communicating or at least providing input, making the Waze app, uh, you know, far more powerful than it is today than just having a bunch of you know Uber drivers saying, hey, you know, there's a pothole over here, or, hey, there's an accident, or you know, watch out for that cop on that corner. Can, exactly, it's, yeah. it, that's the exact concept that that you know your vehicle will have the intelligent capabilities will have devices that will feed directly into ways or other collaborative systems like that you know the key thing that is happening here is is you know that's a trend but the bigger trend is what's happening in the automotive sector is if you think about that what's what's underway is that control of the speed of change for the automotive sector is shifting from auto companies companies in detroit to companies like Google and Apple and mm -hmm. Uber, companies that innovate a lot quicker. And that's one of the sort of the big substantive transformative trends that I talk to my clients about. Control of the speed of innovation in every single industry is shifting from within an industry to Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley companies innovate a lot quicker. It's happening in education, happening in healthcare, it's happening in consumer goods, everywhere. And a lot of companies aren't used to dealing with that speed of change. Yeah. it's. It's fast. I mean, I, I come from the I come from the startup world where I, I actually yeah. have a, a thought that's Go going to my head. Um, you know, sometimes all these predictions about the future can almost make your head hurt. And so I'm curious, as a speaker, when you're talking about trends and things that you see that are going to happen in the future, what is your objective with the audience? Is it just an overall macro view of how the world is changing quickly, or do you try to give customized examples to their industry, or are you just really trying to get people to see the importance of thinking in an innovative way? Probably all of the above. You know, I think the, the key thing, the, th the key thing that I'm recognized for is 
the very customized work that I do. I mean, you know, there's a lot of folks who go in and say, you know, here's the future and isn't it wonderful and I'm going to, you know, scare the heck out of you. Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, I I go in with a lot of very, very detailed research. So I was in St. Louis um, in early December with the United Soybean Board. I had (laughs) 300 soybean farmers in in the room. And so, you know, I was doing a talk on the future of agriculture, but very specifically not just the future of agriculture, but the future of the soybean industry. Uh, and I guess I sort of nailed it because I was so specific at the end. You know, one of them asked, you know, could you become a soybean farmer? Because, you know, you'd be a real inspiration, um, you know, to other farmers with, you know, your detailed knowledge of our industry. I, I, you know, I think to succeed as a futurist, we need to make it very specific to the audience. We need to make it very relevant. We need to, you know, make it something that gives them sort of very concrete, actionable steps. So I do a lot of talks in healthcare, uh, you know, for, for example, um, hospitals. And I can talk very in depth about future healthcare trends from a scientific, technological, demographic, mm-hmm. um, pharmaceutical tre- trend perspective, but also get very specific. What do we need to do in a hospital mm-hmm. setting to deal with the reality of these trends and make them very actionable? So it's the customization that counts. Is there any industry out there that's exempt from needing to care or worry about the future? I don't know if there's any industry that is exempt. I think there's some industries that it's tougher to help move them along. Yeah, that's a good, the pace good perspective. Of um, and, you know, probably the toughest industry is education. Uh, you know, a lot of vested interests, a system that is, is very methodical in their ways, a lot of people who are very resistant to change, a very big, cumbersome, complex industry to change. Um, and a lot of folks who, you know, think that it's perfectly acceptable to keep doing, you know, tomorrow what we were doing 50 years ago. Uh, that can be a very, very challenging industry. Um, so I think it's more their receptiveness to change as, as opposed to the impact that change will have on them. Look, I mean, 10 years out, 20 years out, education will look nothing like it does today. We know that. Um, but there is very much, you know, I think a resistance to change in that industry and that exists in some other industries. I mean, I would also say that, you know, government would also fall into that. I mean, if you consider government an industry, um, just largely because some of the rules and, and procedures and policies that they have in place are, you know, were built for a different time where things didn't innovate as fast or you didn't have to come across, you know, unique um, unique scenarios that only would really occur today that wouldn't have happened, let's say, in 1776 or, you know, 1834, for instance. So Yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of pockets of innovative thinking out there. I, I had mm-hmm. a really cool in- engagement earlier this year. The University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, they brought me in for sort of a commencement address for the graduating class in a governance um, CIO oh, wow. uh, course that they have. And it was all about the future of governance, future of government. And, you know, my talk was very much on the theme of, you know, here are the future trends which are providing an opportunity for the transformation and, and reinvention of government. And, and so here's how you can, uh, you know, with your newfound knowledge, carry this concept of innovation by linking yourself to those trends um, to do wonderful, innovative things in the world mm-hmm. of government. And there are a lot of pockets of thought like that mm-hmm. um, out there. You know, again, the key thing to do is you need to make it relevant right. um, in terms of specific issues to the folks in the room. So one of the things, uh, one of your 
17 trends that you picked out was a green China, and I think that's kind of a good segue with regards to government and with policy. Uh, you're mentioning that right now, just due to the, uh, the American political climate, there's a lot of pushback going on with regards to any like environmental reforms. So what you're seeing right now um, is a really a big push within China uh, to develop you know, next generation renewable or sustainable energy, such as solar, wind, and tidal. I'm just curious if you can expand on that for us and what the future, not just for China, but also uh, the world as a whole will look like with regards to those different types of energy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always very, very careful on stage not to wade into into political issues. I mean, that's a minefield. But you know, right. and so what I try to do with my audience is look, there's there's you know issues that are occurring out there, and then there's science, mm -hmm. and science is something that that is marching along at a furious pace. We're witnessing rapid evolution of science in every single field of human endeavor, and if we consider the the science of of solar, if we consider the science of wind, or the science of solar, any alternative. Um, form of power generation, we're witnessing furious rates of new discovery, furious technological mm -hmm. advances. Uh, you know, I think it's solar has just, um, you know, out, uh, you know, outperformed uh, other traditional forms of alternative energy for the very first time. I mean, we're, we're simply getting better at it. We can generate more power via these alternative methods. So, you know, we do know we're in a period of political turmoil in the U.S., and there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of discussion as to what are we doing with, with carbon versus alternatives. And I think, you know, given that that might slow down some of the non-scientific initiatives in this mm -hmm. regard, then I think it's clear that other countries, and Canada, you know, China has stated this as a stated purpose, um, they're going to be a little bit more aggressive with these alternative uh, um, technologies and ride that scientific trend to take advantage of, of the rapid advancements that are occurring. I mean, that's, that's to mm -hmm. me, just a natural trend which is going to play out given political uncertainty. I mean, I think that makes, uh, at least in the short term, you know, the next four, eight, ten years, if we consider that the short term, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think with that, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about now is not just governments, but also companies and organizations, the, the whole partnership uh, component with which you talked about with regards to innovation and how, you know, governments may be working or partnering with, you know, a, a private company or the private sector to help innovate something or governments may collaborate together or two uh, private that uh, companies may uh, choose to innovate. I'm just <clears throat> curious as to how you see that trend going, because I know, uh, like I said earlier, I, I come from the startup space, and so one of the unique things that we did a lot of was uh, partnering with other companies uh, to fill a gap. I mean, you know, they have something that we want, we have something they want, we're going to partner instead of build something, because it's already there. It makes things faster. Um, so I'm curious if you could expand on that. Yeah, I, I, I think I call it complexity partnerships. I mean, if, you, mm -hmm. if, you th if we go back, for example, to the Internet of Things example, um, you know, what is happening is a lot of products will have connectivity built into them, will have computer chips in them, where they did not hold those chips before, they'll have links to the Internet. That's going to require technological skills that a lot of companies don't necessarily have today. Where they're going to get those skills, they're going to have to go out and establish partnerships to find those skills. And that's happening in every single sector. If we look at healthcare, genomics, you know, DNA sequencing, that's becoming far more critical in terms of what we're doing with drug development, in terms of diagnosis, in terms of new forms of treatment in the healthcare space. Well, I mean, look, there's not a lot of hospitals that have a lot of genetic specialists um, sitting around, uh, you know, waiting for employment. So they're going to have to go out and, and partner with organizations who have the, those genomic um, key genomic skills that they don't have. You know, I think one of the, you know, that defines the key trend going forward. We won't have the skills we need in this this very fast, 
you know, hyper-connected, very complex economy. So increasingly, the ability to go out and get the right skills at the right time for the right purpose for the right prop, prop, you know, purpose will increasingly define our future success. Now, I may date myself just a little bit, but I'll tell, I'll tell a funny little story. There was a, a dating app that was out <laughs> a few years ago called Date My School. And the whole idea behind it was that you used your .edu address to connect with other people. Now, I believe, if I remember correctly, that this was actually done by Columbia Business School students. And the real thing was not a dating app per se, but to actually connect individuals with a verified system. So to actually take somebody, let's say an engineering team at MIT, who wanted uh, you know, somebody who was in the business school at the University of Pennsylvania, and then a design shop that was at the University of Texas. And using those .edu addresses to be able to reach out and do that hyper-connectivity at a speed and at a pace um, that would allow them to find the right people to facilitate, you know, that collaborative effort uh, and that collaborative change, uh, you know, to bring forth that innovative process and to bring, you know, goods and services and, uh, and other items to market in a much faster way. Uh, well, and that, and that really mm-hmm. comes to the issue of speed because, you know, things are changing so quickly. I mean, look, products come to market today and they don't last very long. Uh, before they have to be upgraded or changed. And, and so companies don't have the long luxury of time that they used to have in the past. Uh, so they're going to need specialized skills. They need to find those skills really, really quick to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that just is, is part of this whole mix of, uh, you know, the future. I, that, my tagline for a lot of my audience has, has become that the future belongs to those who are fast. And if you, you know, mix skills into that, I mean, that's just another element of what we need to do to, to get there. I, I could not agree more. You have to be fast. You have to be fast <laughs> and agile. Maybe, maybe some Kanban or Scrum or some other, uh, some other, some other project planning uh, type things. But go ahead. So, Jim, when you look at um, the trends that you're highlighting for 2017, is there one that you're more excited about than others? I I I think the one that has the real biggest implication is probably the one I call Amazonification of every single industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one where I'm getting an increasing number of calls from CEOs or you know top-level executives who are realizing that their competitive landscape has changed because Amazon has their industry in their sites. Yep. Uh, it's happening with hearing aid companies. It's happening with eyewear companies. Uh, I was brought in last year by a company that's in the home renovation industry. And you know, all of a sudden, Amazon is in their is in their industry and is mm-hmm. working to compete against them. And it's forcing companies to examine their value proposition. It's forcing them to consider, you know, what is it that we're really offering to our customers. Uh, it's forcing them to examine their technology platform. It's forcing them to confront a whole bunch of trends um, that they did not have to think about in the past. So it's both an opportunity, but also a very very real challenge. And I, I think that's a, you know, that's a huge issue for organizations going forward. You know, what was interesting is that when one of the startups that I worked for in <coughs> San Francisco, we had uh, we were a payments platform provider, pretty big one, and well, it was Square. But <laughs> anyways, I remember when Amazon came into the payment space with their their Amazon, I forgot what it was, and I just remember everybody at at the office that day being rather somber, going, "Oh man, this is going to change everything." Luckily, you know, we won that battle. But I can definitely see how the future of it, with regards to the Amazonification of different uh, subsectors or different industries, can really have a huge impact, especially with regards to, um, you know, some short-term things with, like, food delivery, because I know there's Amazon Local uh, where they're trying to use Prime to do, you know, food delivery services for your dinner tonight, or, um, you know, taking over third-party, 
you know, builds with regards to like hearing aids, like you mentioned earlier, I can see a lot of things going there and seeing how that could disrupt the industry, so to speak. It's, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, I mm-hmm. go my Christmas shopping through Amazon Prime this year. I didn't hit them all at all. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to Palm Springs in March, and I'm with a company that's in the automotive retail space, and, you know, particularly tires. Mm-hmm. And you might not think of it, but Amazon is a competitive threat to them. They're getting into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's having a potential real impact on their business. And so rather than sitting back and, and you know, reacting to it after the fact, the chairman and the, and the CEO said, okay, we need to have a really good strategy session to understand this, mm-hmm. uh, we need to have somebody who can come in and talk to us at the level of our board and our CEO and our top leadership team to help put in perspective the major trends that are playing out, um, you know, as this unfolds, uh, and then a good three or four hour interactive discussion mm-hmm. um, as to what we need to do about it. And that's becoming an increasing part of my business, not just a keynote, not just where I'm in giving very specific guidance on trends within an industry, but also a very interactive discussion at a senior leadership level to help them comprehend and strategize as to what they need to do with these trends. I just made that note that, you know, I think sometimes the meeting planners ask to find a futurist or someone to speak on trends, but really maybe maybe they need a futurist or someone speaking on trends when the topic is disruption or maybe when the topic is strategic selling. You could you could build a case that by understanding trends and and you know, predictions for the future that could help you build your strategy. So really all those terms kinda come together and we just it's our responsibility, I guess, just to direct people on you may think you're looking for someone on disruption, but what you really might want to consider is someone to talk about trends or futurist angle. Yeah, and I mean, I've been making that link for years. What I've been saying <laughs> to my clients for years is, is, you know, if we think about the concept of innovation, you can find a lot of folks out there who will come in and, you know, give you a nice little song and dance. You need to be innovative, change it up, you know, do these innovative mm-hmm. things and you'll discover magic. That's not my approach. My approach is, look, there are obvious future trends that are going to impact your industry and your company in a pretty profound way. They're going to provide both challenge and opportunity. And what you need to do from an innovation perspective is understand what do you need to change to deal with those trends and turn them into opportunity, not just a challenge. And how do you need to challenge yourself in terms of your actions, your strategies, your structure, your workforce? To me, that's innovation. Innovation isn't just, you know, some cool topic, but it's specifically linking your strategies, your day-to-day activities to these obvious future trends. That makes sense. So one of the things that um, I'd like to do, and this is something that we did yesterday um, with another guest on the show, was uh, discussing what, you know, 2016 meant. And and I'm just curious from a very high-level perspective, you know, what were the trends that you saw in, in 2016 that you know, whether they fizzled or they, you know, they were just on fire, you know, spot on, you know, what was 2016? I mean, for a lot of people, it's the year that music died, but I'm just curious for (laughs) for you, you know, what, what is 2016 and what does that mean to you? I, I, you know, I mean, it it was a a tremendously exciting year for me. You know, number one, um, the PGA of America had me in again to talk about the future of golf. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a big golfer, I mean, that was tremendously exciting to me. Um, but it, it, it's also indicative of the fact that, you know, that's an organization that recognizes, you know, look, there's, we need to change things in a very fundamental way to continue to grow this game, um, you know, in a period of time when the, this next generation is maybe not getting as involved with the sport um, as previous ones. So what do we really need to do from this innovation concept 
um, to deal with the reality of what is occurring there. Um, I had a lot of fun with the team in, in 2016. I think it will play out in a big way in 2017. I'm already getting huge interest in it, where I'm sort of playing into the theme of the Jetsons TV show. And what I'm mm-hmm. doing with my audience is, um, you know, from a high-level perspective, it looks, the, you know, the Jetsons were supposed to be here in 2062, uh, and all of a sudden you can look at stuff in this TV show, you know, 50 years from now, it's real today. It's part of our lives today. What does that mean? It's crazy. Um, in terms of what we need to do. And, you know, I'm driving my sons crazy. I'm sitting around watching, uh, you know, the Jetsons show every, you know, moment I have a chance. Uh, there's actually one episode I just watched. Elroy sitting in the living room. He's actually flying a drone. He's sitting on the floor. He's got a little controller and the drone is flying overhead. I mean, that wasn't supposed to be here till 2062, mm-hmm. but drone technology is everywhere and it's having an absolutely profound um, impact on industries. Uh, manufacturing was huge for me in 2016. I had about seven or eight major manufacturing conferences. Uh, you know, I had one event in Chicago with about 4,000 manufacturing executives in the room. And, and you know, I think what's playing out there is, you know, there's, again, the political rhetoric, you know, look, the jobs aren't coming back. There's no magic wand that can be waved. Automation is huge. Reinvention of the industry is huge. Transformation, uh, you know, use of intelligent capabilities to do a lot of innovative things in American manufacturing, and that's real. And manufacturers are really lapping that up. So, I mean, I was all over manufacturing last year. I did a lot of stuff in self-driving cars uh, mm-hmm. and what's happening with transportation. Um, you know, so I, what, what I'm discovering is a lot of very short-term business. Trends are hitting people faster, and so they're sitting back and kind of going, you know, wow, we didn't expect this trend to hit us, you know, this quickly. We need somebody to come in and help us understand its implications. And, and what we need to do. Yeah, trends are like viral videos <laughs> now. They, they just they just take off. Uh, there's a lot of exciting things there. You know, one of the things that you sent over to us prior uh, you know prior to this recording uh, was your list of new topics for the year. And one of them was the Jetsons, and you just talked about that. But could you touch on the other topics that you have uh, for 2017, and you know what you plan on discussing? Yeah, I, I, I think one is, um, um, uh, you know, people, yeah. uh, look, I mean, let's be blunt about it. 2016 was a brutal year in terms of Brexit, in terms of the U.S. Mm-hmm. election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, there's there's um, organizations and people who are feeling a little bit of battered and bruised and, uh, you know, concerned about where are we going in the future? What does all this uncertainty mean? And so uh, I've got this one topic, the lessons of powerful optimism, rethinking the future right now. And what that does is it, it sort of puts a spin on future trends which focus on the opportunities that are coming with these trends, less so than the challenges. And New York Life just had me in. I mean, they had me in for a, for a town hall event in uh, uh, December. And, you know, specifically, we want uh, sort of a happy talk. You know, we don't want something hard and heavy in terms of, uh, you know, the type of stuff we've been through in 2016. We want mm-hmm. something which is, you know, a real positive outlook for where we can go in 2017. Uh, I, I, volatility is a big issue. I, th- I sense a lot of organizations are in sort of a state of suspended ad- animation. They're not making decisions. They're a little bit uncertain as to how the things um, are unfolding. So I've got a topic which is innovating in the era of accelerated mm-hmm. uncertainty. Uh, you know, how do, we, how do we deal with this new world of volatility? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of interest in that one because, you know, uncertainty is, I think, an overriding uh, issue and concern out there right now. You mentioned that um, one of your clients specifically requested the happy talk. In general, do you have an objective on how you want audiences to feel after they hear one of your presentations? 
Yeah, I, I, I think what I want to do is to help them understand several things. You know, look, number one, the future is going to happen whether you like it or not. Uh, there's, you know, we need to get comfortable with that. And, you know, I, I do that in various ways. There's a great quote I use from Ogden Nash. Mm-hmm. Uh, he observed years ago, progress is great, but it's gone on way too long. <laughs> we can't think like that. We can't make it mm-hmm. go away. So let's accept that it's real. And let's understand the very real specific trends, which will provide both challenge and opportunity for us. But let's not just focus on the challenge. Let's not just focus on, on the potential problems which can come from those trends. But let's really spend our time focusing on the opportunity that comes from those trends. How can we turn those those trends into substantive, transformative opportunities as opposed to being a threat? Uh, and, and I think that's the type of thinking that people need. You know, a lot of people look at the future and it can be very fearful. Change is fearful. People are uncomfortable with change. People don't like change. Um, and so we need to get them through that and get them focused on, okay, what can I do to turn this, you know, into a something that works for me as as opposed to something that's working against me. Perfect. I'm curious, here you are a futurist and you've been in this business for 25 years. I've been in and around it for about 35. What, specifically in the speaking industry, what stayed the same and what are some of the changes you've seen and do you have any changes you think we're going to see that maybe we haven't thought of? Boy, and, I, and don't I, give away everything. We want yeah. you know we want that secret sauce on the back end. Yeah, well, I, I think there's several things that are happening. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I, I, I think there's um, very much an issue out there of what I call new topicitis. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you witness it too. I mean, people coming out of the woodwork with with you know crazy topics that are like you know they're a little bit like Chinese food. I mean, they're a lot of fun when you hear it on stage, but you kind of leave and you know an hour later you're hungry. I, that's, <laughs> that's where I awesome. really, you know, I don't mean to, you know, diss people, but, the, you know, that's where I really think, you know, I play to my strengths, and that's the customization I do. I mean, and sometimes I'm reading 400, 600, 1,000 articles on trends in a, in a particular industry. So, you know, that's that's an issue. You know, organizations scrambling for the hot new topics. Well, at the end of the day, what does that really do for you? Um, I, I think there's a lot of committee decisions out there where the committee is making their decision based upon preview videos mm-hmm. uh, and that drives me a little bit nuts because look I've got 250 video clips on my site if you're looking for an expert on soybeans I can give you an expert you know video clip where I'm talking about soybeans so, you know I think we, we need to play into the, the strengths of um, it's not just the style of the speaker on stage but it's the very customized insight that they're bringing into the room um, I, you know I think there's the issue of of the consultative calls with clients. Uh, every single, and Gail, you know this, every single time there's a client situation, I encourage uh, my partners, the bureaus, whomever, get me on the phone with a client. We can have a good, you know, 45 minute, half hour, a one hour conversation to discuss what are they trying to accomplish? Where do we need to go? How can I help? Uh, you know, what is it I might potentially bring into the room in terms of, uh, you know, very specific content that might help you deal with that? Um, you know, that's that's an issue. I think um, there's a lot of surface level decisions that are made very quickly in terms of, you know, style and performance uh, when it's really the substance and the content that, that, that counts. So I sort of worry about that that trend. So it kind of um, comes back to uh, something that I've been really harping on uh, here at GDA Speakers, not just the podcast, but GDA Speakers, which is content, 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 content is king, content, content. Yeah, content, content <laughs> is, is, is critical. And, and 
you know, it also lends into the issue of, you know, well, what is the role of the, the, the bureau in this day and age? Mm -hmm. And, you know, does it still matter when people can find so many speakers directly? And I will tell you this, in, in October, November, December, I made a specific point of going and visiting, mm -hmm. um, you know, many of the bureau friends who work with me, um, specifically to ensure those relationships are good and to have discussions about, you know, the topics I'm focused on and what I'm seeing in the marketplace and how we can work together. Because I think, you know, clients do need, particularly in this market where there are so many speakers and so yes. many people out there, they do need that editorial guidance, which, you know, comes from a good partner such as a bureau mm -hmm. to help them understand the range of what is out there and what works and what doesn't work and who might be the, you know, the best fit. I, you know, I think that is something that will continue to go forward in the future. It's, it's like, why is there Spotify? Spotify exists in the music industry to help us discover the mm -hmm. good stuff from mm -hmm. all the range of music that is out there. Why are there speakers bureaus? Because they're the Spotify of of the the content industry. Hey, I just coined a phrase there. That's yeah, cool. I like it. We're gonna edit. We're gonna edit, we're gonna edit that one out. That's really what it's all about. <laughs> People need that guidance and assistance to you know discover what's real and what's good out there. That's awesome. Well, I think that's kind of a good uh, a good a good jump off, uh, if you will. Um, if you guys are interested in learning more about Jim Carroll, you can visit his website. Um, which I'm pulling it up right now. I believe it's jimcarroll.com. That's J-I-M-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. You can also visit GDA Podcast for more audio clips and transcripts and blog posts. And if you're interested in booking Jim uh, for your next speaking engagement or for half-day seminars or <laughs> whatever customized content that he will provide for you, you can visit GDA Speakers or call 214-420-1999. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, okay, Jim. thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers. If you're interested in booking today's guest, visit GDA Speakers at gdaspeakers.com or call 214-420-1999. Visit gdapodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and be informed of new episodes, blog posts, and more. Be sure to follow GDA Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GDA Podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash GDA Podcast. Thanks again, and stay tuned for more from GDA Podcast and GDA Speakers.